Hey, TCO fam, Patrick here. Stay tuned at the very end of this episode, after the palate cleanser, for a two or so minute preview of our first episode of The Staircase, which is now live via our Patreon feed. Okay, now to the show. Julian Pensavale. Mm. Patrick Hines. I'm not mad at you. I'm just mad at the evil genius. (laughs) Quote, genius. Before we get to the episode, let's just tell the people, you guys, so much Patreon news. Oh my God. We are done with our series on Serial, 12 episodes. Serial, I will not miss you. I'm happy to be moving <laughs> but on. tell the people how good the episodes are. Oh, they're amazing. They're so funny. They're so great. We loved making them. Yeah. You guys, we started our series with an interview with Rebecca Lavoie. We ended it with an interview with Rabia Chaudhry. You guys, guess she what? She smells so good. I know. Guess what we have coming up, you guys? Interview with Asia McLean. <gasps> Can I read her Twitter feed to her? I'm so excited. I, I can't am believe too. We're actually going to talk to Asia. Like, how did this even? Like, what on earth is we happening? We connected on Twitter. Yeah, she, one day, I just got a DM from Asia McLean. I was like, whoa! Did also, your stomach drop? It did. It. I, I was totally. And like, we've been going back and forth, and she's funny and nice, and and yeah, we're we're me and you are hopping on a call with her on Monday. Excellent. Uh, you guys, to find all of our bonus content, by the way, it's all commercial free. Oh, yeah. We also have extended outtakes for our episodes, two other full bonus episodes. There's so much bonus content. If you guys are looking for more TCO, just go to patreon.com slash Obsessed. Go to our website and uh, click on the Patreon link and get in the community, you guys. Yeah, and the thing is, the minute you sign up, you have access to all of it. Yeah, you get like 40 episodes right away. Right away. And we're dropping stuff like at least twice a week. Oh, just so much always. So you get like 10 more bonus things a month. You're going to be so Five Weasley Measley Bucks. Girl, what what are we talking about today and then never talking about again? Oh, Evil Genius, episodes three and four. We're never talking about Evil Genius ever again. I am so tired of this Marjorie Deal person. I can't wait to be done with her forever. Where is the bell? <laughs> oh, God. I can't believe I forgot it. I've, I've thought about the bell 40 times since you sat down. I've become such a bitch. Where is my bell? I don't want to charge it. I just we got him out of the car and cuffed him. I start hearing a beep. His eyes just got real wide. A potential hostage sent into the bank with an explosive around their neck. Something like this had never happened before in the history of the FBI. For being a small town, Erie has its share of bizarre events, but there is nothing that raised so many questions as this case. The call was made to the pizza shop at 1.30. Brian Wells drove to the site where the pizzas were to be delivered. The man told police that he was forced to rob the bank. But the FBI believed that whoever built the caller is patient and secretive. Brian Wells said he was supposed to go on a scavenger hunt. And he was supposed to go from point A to point B to point C, where the keys would be given him to release this bomb. This made worldwide news. The purpose of the pizza bomber plot? Money. How could this happen? Who's the mastermind? Please, what's your emergency? There's a woman that you might want to question. He's the one that did it. I mean, they're co-conspirators. There was a lot of tips coming in, but no smoking gun. We didn't have DNA, fingerprints. The bomb had wires that didn't mean anything to prevent the bomb squad from tampering with it. Do you make the bomb? No. Liar! It's a bank robbery, but it's a scavenger hunt. Guy has a cane gun, and it was actually loaded. Who put this in motion? I did nothing. Who actually said, hey, let's rob a bank? She laughed about it. She said, I got away with it. Was Wells a victim or participant? When you have a bomb... Off to your neck. It became a diabolical game to them. So when we last left Evil Genius, yes. uh, the filmmaker was reaching out to Marjorie Deal, and she basically said, hey, I'll talk. I'll spill all the beans, but I either want money or yeah. legal help or whatever. And like, you know, she's not going to work for free. Right. Totally. She's definitely not a genius, but she's also like not the stupidest person in the world. So we open on episode three, The Suspects, with Marjorie sitting down 
from prison. Yeah. Like in front of a camera. It's like another Skype call. And she like, it's, it's doing this weird thing where she doesn't know there's a camera or she forgot that she's having a meeting with the lawyer that the filmmaker uh-huh. got for her as part of their deal. She's like, what's this? What? And the, <laughs> this lawyer is sitting in the biggest at the biggest conference table ever. He, oh, they haven't even started talking. He's already got his hands on his head. He is so not amused, and the guy I doesn't know. get a word in edgewise. I don't know what his hourly rate is, but that money is out the window because the guy didn't say a goddamn thing. And every time he does try to say something, she just jumps on top of him. Screaming, I'm just a normal woman. Maybe I'm not Miss Congeniality, but hey, Lincoln and Churchill were both bipolar, and I'm a genius, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'm a normal woman. I shop at the mall. I rescue dogs and cats. I'm a good cook, and I'm I'm pretty normal. I'm not I'm not this congeniality, but I'm not the worst one either. I'm bipolar. I have my highs and I have my lows. Hey, but you know what? Lincoln was bipolar. Churchill was bipolar. Um, some of your greatest writers and musicians are bipolar. I have a genius like you. As my mom would say, she's going on and on into the night about. <laughs> She's like, what's your sign? Ah, the moon's in Aries. You, that's such bullshit. No, it wasn't. Someone get like the farmer's almanac out. I promise you the moon was not in fucking Aries. Oh my God, it's so crazy. This lawyer, he's just sitting there like, what have I gotten myself into? And then like she, like they do, they just get like in Zodiac where it's like sometimes they want to help. Right. She's like, let's talk about James Roden. I didn't have anything to do with Brian Wells. I didn't. And the lawyer's like, I know I should be paying attention, but like does anybody else see this? He's looking around like, is anyone watching? I shot and killed James Roden. I'm not going to lie about anything that I did do, and I admit that I did it, and I'm sorry that it happened. Why did you shoot Roden? What was the motive? Well, he was in my home, and he threatened to kill me, and he'd been doing this for over 10 years. He had me out of my mind with it. I couldn't take it anymore. I swear to God, I couldn't take it anymore. Everybody has a breaking point, all right? Like, where are the guards in prison being like, girl, calm (laughs) down. I killed James Roden. I'm not going to lie about it. Everyone has a breaking point. Oh, yeah, girl, same. Is this this over yet? God. (sighs) And then the lawyer's like, well, why was the body in the freezer? She's like, if you just listen to me, I'll tell you. You've been screaming for 45 minutes. (laughs) The dude's like, I'm right here. You guys, this is all before the opening credits. We haven't gotten to the opening credits yet. Welcome to Evil Genius Part 3. I can't. Okay. Okay. All right. So Marge writes this to whom it may concern letter to the state police. That letter was probably our saving grace to get her to start talking. I love Meathead Jerry because Meathead Jerry from the FBI. I want him to have a better nickname because I love him so much. I just literally, when I saw him on the screen, I was like, Meathead Jerry's back. I, he is great. He's I love. He is totally like a DL Boston accent too. Yeah. He totally, I'm like, girl, you're from Boston. I can tell. I know. And he and Jason Wick, the guy from the ATF, who we like hum end up and seeing hum and hum and hum and hum. They're like, I imagined him naked this whole time. Really? I was so bored. I just imagined him naked the whole time. They're this like amazing duo. Yeah. But so Marjorie has a deal with them where she wants to be closer to her lawyers or something. She wants to be transferred and she says to Meathead Jerry, I will give you information on the pizza bombing case if you move me to a, a, a closer prison to my lawyer or whatever. Or, or whatever. Yeah. She said, I know Bill Rothstein's involved in it. She didn't say, I believe he's involved. She said, I know he's involved. I believe she said there was another person involved with him and that he was keeping really close to the case and he was like infatuated with the case so he knew more than what the police did in case he got talked to on it. I love too that Jason and Meathead Jerry talk about how they used to go in and question Marge, Marjorie right. and how Marjorie would just rant and rave and scream yeah. and holler. Every time we showed up to interview Marjorie Deal, the first minute was her yelling at us. She would scream at us, uh, yell obscenities at us. Um, why are you guys here? Jerry would always compliment her at some point and say, Marge, you look really good today. And she would calm right down. And she would calm down and say, thank you, Jerry. And, you know, how can I help you guys today? She would be, so she'd be like, why are you even here? And they're like, girl, you called us. And you look great today. She would be, ra- yeah. And then he'd be like, your hair, girl, you're glowing. And she'd be like, 
really? <laughs> Bill Watson did it! And then she goes into screaming because she has no other level. Um, so they finally, there's a clue. Because remember, in the, I think it was the first episode, it was either Jerry or Jason, one of our collective boyfriends, was saying that the thing about this case is that you know they all did it, but like that's not how law should work. Exactly. You need a bunch of evidence. Yeah. So Jerry's like, someone's got to fucking sing like a canary. Like right. that's really the only way this is going to come through. But they finally find a clue. And it, it's that Marge wrote an angry letter to a bank, PNC Bank, the same bank that Brian Wells was supposed to rob, asked for $250,000. They're geniuses, though, right? <laughs> Apparently, the manager let Marge's dad empty out a family safety deposit box that contained valuables belonging to Marge. Marge was furious with her dad and the bank. I think Marjorie had an axe to grind against PNC Bank. How would that make Marjorie feel she'd been done wrong? Her inheritance from her mom never came to her from the bank and they were rude to her. And they were rude to her because I'm sure she came in all super fucking nice. You get more bees with honey, you goddamn psycho. Trey, the filmmaker, would record everything at a drop of a hat because he never knew when she would call him or whatever. Finally, in all of these calls and all of these letters, she finally says something of substance. Right. It was a story about a blue van at Bill Rothstein's house. Marge thought it was suspicious that Bill, immediately after the heist, had towed the blue van away and then didn't tow it back until after he'd been cleared as a suspect by the FBI. So in the in the last episode, when Trey goes to like confront Bill and they have that weird like face off where Bill doesn't say anything, but he's like sitting in a car, there is a blue van. Yes. On his property. And remember our other boyfriend, Lamont King, the trooper, was like, yeah. I had a weird like he saw that van and it was a blue van. So when I eventually talked with the state trooper Lamont King, who had seen a van leave the last scavenger hunt site of the bank heist, I asked if Lamont would look at my video. And I see the picture of the blue van, uh, it, it just really, uh, because like I said, I didn't hear anything else about it until uh, Trey sent it to me. And I'm thinking, that's the van. There's no doubt in my mind, that's the van that I saw that day. Basically, you guys, what's happening is that we're finding out that Bill Rothstein was the ma- one of the masterminds behind this whole pizza bombing thing. Yeah, and it all comes back to like the first five minutes of the series where Lamont's like, I saw a blue van, didn't like it. Even though Meathead Jerry and everybody else knew that these all of these murders were connected and that Bill Rothstein was involved, this is the proof that he needed. He right. didn't have proof before this. Right. And then now the filmmaker also says, Marge kept saying she didn't have anything to do with the heist, and I believed her for a few months. Really? <laughs> You believed her? And I believed her for a few months. Until the summer of 2005, when several national TV shows went to Erie, and they dug up some new clues. This is a Fox News alert. There are breaking developments that could crack wide open one of the nation's most bizarre mysteries. Geraldo came on the scene, and I'm like, oh, here I know. we fucking Geraldo go. is the worst, and he's like making a return appearance to True Crime Obsessed. Remember, he was in Cropsy? He was in Cropsy. Yes. But oh Geraldo's on the scene, you guys, and they are like, they're doing their like best stupid Fox investigative reporting, trying to like uncover new facts. Professor Sedwick said he was driving south on I-79, not far from the bank robbery site. The day Brian Wells died. I saw it at a distance, maybe a half mile away, a gold car driving on the berm coming at me at full highway speed. It was a woman. She made full eye contact with me, and she had a really unusual set of eyes. The woman was Marjorie Deal Armstrong. This is as Brian Wells is, is, is sitting down the in the parking lot. The day of the Brian Wells murder as it's all happening. Marjorie Deal is flying down the highway in the wrong direction. And the and the cops, like, because there's this weird, like, like you were saying, boys fighting about whatever. Yeah. The cops didn't tell the FBI about it. Whatever. So Geraldo knows about it. And Geraldo gets this eerie PA DA to call Meathead Jerry from the chair. Like, he's in the interview, he takes out his super 2003 cell phone. This gigantic flip phone that looks ancient. <laughs> it looks like it's 1982. It really it wasn't that long and ago. And called Meathead Jerry. At our suggestion, Erie District Attorney Brad Polk called the FBI's local office from his cell phone. Okay, Geraldo's asking if we had ever met or heard of or uh, had talked to that fella. They had not. But they would now. So then we meet this UPS guy. Oh, my God. 
who who sees the the story on America's Most Wanted? Right. His son is like, Dad, aren't the isn't that isn't do you see that crazy overall guy and the right. girl with the crazy eyes? Didn't you see them at a gas station? One of the key pieces of evidence is the observation of Marjorie Deal Armstrong and Bill Rothstein at the payphone where we know the call was made ordering the pizzas that day. So this guy watching America's Most Wanted realizes that he saw Bill Rothstein and crazy Marjorie Deal on the payphone making the pizza call. Right. He probably heard them first, let's be honest. Right. Heard Marjorie. <laughs> I want two pizzas! <laughs> I'm not Miss Congeniality, but the mood is in Aries, and I want the two goddamn pizzas. Now it all makes sense, because remember when the, the boss was like, I can't understand a fucking right. word. Like, I need to pass the phone. Now it all makes sense, now that we've spent some time, quality time with Ms. Marjorie Deal. But just to be clear, this UPS guy sees Bill and Marjorie making the call to the pizza place. As I drove past the gas station, I noticed a large man standing at the payphone with bib overhauls on. I commented to myself, you know, nice bibs, because the day was hot. I saw Mrs. Deal Armstrong standing there. As I got closer to her, she turned and looked right at me. You know, we met, our eyes met. When she looked at me, it was a sight that I, I, I didn't forget. To this day, I won't forget it. The guy's name is Michael Vote, and he's like, yeah, I even said to myself, like, nice bib overalls, brah. <laughs> like, he's just like, how do you miss, you can't miss these I two know, people. I Bill Rothstein is gigantic with these overalls. Marjorie is not a petite little flower, <laughs> as we've learned. She's no longer beautiful. Be- oh, she so was so beautiful. <laughs> and she made, like, like she does, she made this creepy, like, intense eye contact with Michael, and Michael was like, well, I guess I fucking gotta call the FBI now. Now, right? Exactly. And then this is just like the person just seeing her drive like a lunatic in the wrong direction on the highway. She's like, oh, yeah, no, I was there. Right. Of course I was there. <laughs> but not for the reason you think. She was smart enough to know that if somebody saw her at the Shell station, she was not going to be able to deny that. So what she would do is say, I was at the Shell station, but why I was there was for a different reason. And then, so now we're back to this Skype call with the lawyer. And oh. I feel like at this point, the lawyer's got his head face down on the desk. He's loosened his tie. Yeah, he's just banging his head on the desk. <laughs> I was positioned to be up at the Shell gas station that day by Rothstein. He was meeting me because he was my co-defendant on the road case, you know. You know, I'm an intelligent woman. I have the equivalent of five college degrees. I was top of my high school class commencement speaker. You know, I'm an intelligent woman. I have the equivalent of five college degrees. <laughs> Having five college degrees is the only equivalent of having five college degrees. <laughs> what is the equivalent of having five college degrees if you don't have five diplomas in your house? What is the equivalent of that? Then we find out that her fe- Marge's fellow inmates are singing like canaries. I have that in my notes. I said the inmates with Marge sang period like period canaries. You guys... Marjorie Deal goes to jail and she cannot shut up about being involved in the pizza bomber case. She just can't stop talking about it. Right. Every one of the the ladies in jail that that Marge would talk to said she shot uh, Jim Roden because he was going to uncover the the pizza bomb plot. One of them even kept notes. I mean, she'd write down notes in front of Marge. My favorite is one of the fellow inmates, this woman, Kelly McAuliffe, who literally, they describe like she was taking notes as Marjorie was talking. We see the notes. Right. She, she's just like, here you go, Meathead Jerry and Hot Jason. Like, right. here she's are my notes. She's literally listening to Marjorie talking. She's like, well, how do you spell Mamma Mia's pizza? Yeah, say it one more time. What's the phone number to Mamma Mia's pizza? So then you put the collar bomb on them and then, That's okay, collar got it. with an A-R? Or right. How, how do you spell collar bomb? Right, right. And it's Roth, Rothstein or Rothstein? Rothstein, got it. Thanks. Can you just can you just sign an initial of this at the bottom, Marge? Thank you She's so like, much. Yeah, sure, no yeah. Let me get right back to shaving my eyebrows off with a tray yeah, for yeah. five hours. Sure. But let me sign this first. In blood. Right. Probably. <laughs> right? Kelly had repeatedly asked police to get these notes to the FBI, but that never happened. For some unknown reason, the notes were stuffed in a drawer. So again, because like stupid jurisdiction shit. The, co- the local cops just, like, shoved these notes, these actual, like, confession notes right. in a drawer. Girl, what was the file called? Oh, they were called snitch letters. <laughs> snitch letters. This girl took dubious notes. You can't give her the the, the courtesy of calling it, like, uh, Kelly McCullough's hard-fought confessions <laughs> from Marjorie Deal. Right? Signed and initialed, probably. <laughs> um, so here's, here's what the notes said, right? Bill made yeah. the bomb. 
Yes. We knew that. We knew that when Bill said that he didn't make the bomb in his suicide note. That was actually point number one. We knew that, right? Remember when point number two was like, there's a body in the freezer. Remember when the last point was like, sorry for the mess, girl. There should have been little bullet points like 5A, the mess of the body, my hoarding, my dead body, all the other dead bodies, or just the emotional, mental mess and anguish. So super sorry. Um, So Bill made the bomb, obviously. Okay, remember my garbage minute? Yeah. With Floyd Stockton? People are loving the garbage minute. Okay, well, he was involved too. Floyd Stockton, rapist. Right. Yeah, rapist totally, totally. Floyd yeah. Stockton was also involved. And they measured, oh, I can't, I hate it so much. I know. They measured Brian Wells for the collar, and I want to throw up. That's what it says in my I notes, know. all in all one word. And Marge is now, she's laughing hysterically telling the story. I know. <laughs> And all the inmates are like slowly backing away, except for Hero Bell Kelly, who's like, just I'm sorry, just spell collar. So you you had you measure it exactly? You have, what were the, the actual measurements? Was it right, seventeen was it, and a half? Was it one of those sewing things where right. it's like you know the, the the measuring tape that's like really malleable, totally, so you can totally. right? Is that what it was? Great. So now she's back with the lawyer. Oh my god! At this point, the guy is just like is sitting in a pool of his own urine on the floor, just banging his head against the wall. Is there a bar in this FBI? Like, can I get a drink? I can I just get a straight whiskey and just leave the bottle? Right. Just he leave had the been bottle. crying. He stopped crying. At this He's point. way past it yeah. now. He's like, I don't. Don't even my, my rate just went up four thousand dollars. <laughs> Let me get this straight. This is important. Are you saying that you hadn't heard anything about this plan to rob a bank using Brian Wells and this bomb prior to the day that Brian Wells was killed? Exactly. Till it happened, it was on television when I got home that night. Do I look like a freaking terrorist freak? I mean, come on, is is nuts. And she's screaming, and she's like, Do I look like a freaking terrorist freak? <laughs> And I'm like, girl, do you really want me to answer that? Because the answer is fucking yes. Okay, so now it's at fall 2005, two yeah. years after the heist. Now we're interviewing Ken Barnes, the fishing buddy. Cocaine Ken. Garbage. You're a fucking loser. <laughs> Called himself Cocaine Ken. Hilarious. <laughs> fucking loser. If you have to give yourself a nickname that has drugs in it, you're a loser. 100%. I'm judging you super hard. Yes. I'm really sorry about that, but I'm not. You know, Marjorie Deal Armstrong and Ken Barnes met at the South Pier here in Erie, which is a real, you know, well-known fishing area, and they were fishing buddies. So they had a long history together. They they had competing personalities in ways, but they were attracted to each other for some reason. Mr. Galoof uh, interviewed Mr. Barnes first by himself and came back to us and reported, hey, you know, I like this guy. I think he has information. So he tells us about Jessica Hoopsick. Hoopsick. Who's Jessica Hoopsick? A prostitute. Sex worker. Yeah. But she's also the favorite. <laughs> she's also prost- just a prostitute. Yeah. Like- <laughs> but she's the she's a favorite prostitute. She's Brian Wells' favorite prostitute. Right. So remember in the first episode where they go in and like poor Brian is also a hoarder? Yeah. I don't like <laughs> Like, Wait till we get to Ken's house. I can't. Ken's another hoarder. I, you, I'm going to throw this fucking garbage <laughs> bell. So they had like a, the list of sex workers and drug dealers and yeah. stuff. Like Jessica Hoopsick had like a bunch of gold stars next to her name or whatever. Oh, so <laughs> oh, Jessica, I hope, I, girl, if you're listening, call us. Yeah, I hope you're okay. Yeah. So here's what happened. Ken tells this this situation. Right. There was like an, an arrangement that, that was going on. Here's what it is. Brian Wells would drive Jessica Hoopsick to purchase crack cocaine from Ken Barnes, actually consummate their sexual transaction on the second floor of Mr. Barnes's residence. Brian would then pay Jessica Hoopsick for the transaction. <laughs> Thank you, Meathead Jerry, for saying it in such a way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He did say it like that. For the transaction. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, just the facts, ma'am. Like, he's all about it. Jessica Hoopsick would then buy crack cocaine from Ken Barnes. In effect, it was basically one-stop shopping. All three were very happy with the deal, and it worked out for everybody. It was, and Jerry's also like, everyone, it was one-stop shopping, girl. Everybody <laughs> won. It was a very one-and-done kind of deal. I know. I'm laughing because it's awful, and, like, that's my reaction. Not because it's funny. I'm, I don't think this is funny. We would be sobbing in a yeah, corner yeah, 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 if yeah, we yeah, didn't, yeah. I like, want all of these people to be okay, even the garbage people. Oh, not Floyd. Not Floyd. Not no, Floyd. No, 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 Floyd's not, the word. Not, I want him to not be okay. And you know what? He's not okay. No. Yeah. Oh, man, when he dies. Oh, it's going to be so great. <laughs> I know. I don't know if he dies. I hope he's dead. Like, I just hate I want him. it to be, like, the scene at the end of Ghost where, like, those, like, little evil people 
people from hell come up like mice totally. and carry off the body into Oh, hell. I can't wait for that to happen to him. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Ken Barnes being brought into the investigation, there was a search done of his house. You name it, you found it in that house. We conducted a search warrant in there, and there was so, there was so much junk and so, so many things just stacked on top of each other. Um, it got to the point where you had no idea if you were standing on the floor or not. Yeah. Ken is also a fucking hoarder. Can we, what is, like, I what do, a I weird understand. connection that all of these all people. All of these people, you guys were not making, these aren't like people with cluttered houses. They, they, they are actual hoarders. They go in with hazmat suits to yeah. every single one of these homes. Gizmo and Peanut. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is what, I'm, I'm just going to hold the garbage bell because I just, do you hear it? It's like, it won't even ding. That's how I'm clutching it. So they go, first of all, there are tons of magazines and like literature about explosives. Yeah. <laughs> and you know that Jerry and Jason. People see your face. You know that Jerry and Jason are just like, are you kidding me? This won't hold up in a court of law. Like they're just like, girl, like, oh my God. So there were these two dogs. Oh my God, I'm going to cry. Gizmo and Peanut. Fuck you, Ken. They were in such bad shape that they had to be put down. So yeah. you're a dog killer too. I hate you. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know what? I take. I don't want Ken to be okay. No, either. Ken. Ken, Ken needs and Floyd to be taken are just, out by the ghost great. demons too. I can't wait for both of them to be dead. Yeah. Um. So it turns out Marge hired Ken to kill her own father. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. Her father was giving away what she thought was 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 her inheritance. It was confirmed that he was giving money to neighbors to buy cars and different things, and she became upset and solicited Mr. Barnes to kill him. Her motive was to rob the bank, to acquire down money to pay Mr. Barnes, kill her father. So then we see Ken in his interview where he's like, yeah, I told her I'd do it and that I needed half the money up front. But I, girl, I wasn't really going to do it. I'm sure you weren't. You're just going to murder dogs <laughs> and be a hoarder and call yourself Cocaine Ken and fraternize and like with rapists. cocaine to hookers. I said, I want half up front. I said, I want $100,000 up front. And of course, just playing with the tank because I won't kill nobody. But I said, to you her, won't I said, kill anybody. No, I would never okay. kill anybody. Go ahead. I hate to kill bugs. I don't like to kill flies, you know. Hell, I, I cry when people shoot deers, you know. No doubt in your mind she wanted you to kill them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She was serious about that because she wanted that money. But like I say, I'd never kill anybody. I just want to see if she'd be stupid enough to give me any money up front. I wasn't going to do it. I don't even like killing bugs. Right. <laughs> if you're, you guys. I know. <laughs> if you're going to lie. You have to make it believable. Yeah, yeah. You had dead animals and dogs that you had to be put down because they, they couldn't come back from it. You're going to be like, I don't even like killing flies. Right. I don't even, I don't I cry when people kill deer when they're hunting. Bitch, you're a fucking fisherman. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Fuck you. I know. What is fishing if it's not killing? Like, are you serious? Right. I cry when people kill deer. You're a fucking fisherman. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you talking about? So then Marge is now screaming at the lawyer. Look, I killed two boyfriends. You really think I'd hire Ken? I got a ton of money. I don't need any more money. I, can, I don't have to pay somebody, but I don't want to have my money. I killed my own father for free. <laughs> Would you? Is that another confession? Do Skype calls count in the court of law? Jerry and Jason. I know. She's like, be reasonable, girl. (laughs) And the episode ends with with Jerry saying, look, Marge is talking and Ken is talking, but they're not talking to each other, which is great for the case. A line you hear a lot of time, the first pig or the first animal to the trough eats the best. The first one to the trough was Ken Barnes, who gave up information on what happened at the tire site. He provided a confession that day, which really turned the case that day. Turned it, you know, made a 180. He confessed to, to you know, knowing the whole scheme. And so that's what happens. In the end, Ken admits that, like, he knew everything. He was right. in on the whole thing. And so is Marge. And so is Marge. She said to me, here comes Brian. And I said, let me see him. And then she said, here comes Ross. And I seen his car pulling down the street. And she was looking down and there she goes, ah, 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 like the bank just robbed the bank. This episode is aptly titled The Confessions. Everyone spills the tea singing high-pitched canaries. (laughs) Okay. At the top, we find out that the day before the pizza bombing 
There was a big meeting at Bill Rothstein's house with everyone involved. The pre-robbery meeting, as Jerry calls it. We learned through interviews with Mr. Barnes that the day before the bank robbery, there was a pre-robbery meeting at Mr. Rothstein's house to discuss roles each person would play. We asked him about that meeting and who was present, and he described it. He said, of course, Mr. Rothstein, Marjorie Deal, and then Mr. Stockton. Bob Panetti was, was present, and Brian Wells, he was there. Bob Panetti, remember him? He was the other pizza delivery guy that died of the overdose. For like mysterious circumstances, totally. he was going to talk to the cops and they couldn't. And Bill Wells. Right. The, the guy who ended up dying. We're all there. Right. And everyone bear in mind, the whole reason they're robbing this bank is so that Marjorie can have enough money to pay Ken to kill her dad. <laughs> Guys. Yeah, yeah let, let, let's also just make that perfect. That's a good note. Yeah. So just so you know, so Ken gives a bunch of information. It's super hard to deal with and process. We're going to go through real quick. And what, what, what he's telling us, what Ken is telling us is the story about getting the collar on Brian Wells. Right. And you guys, they do this great animation. It's yeah. like in shadow. It's really the anime. Good job, filmmakers. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. They call the pizza. They call for the pizza, right? From the payphone. Right. The UPS guy sees them. And Marjorie, like, steals his soul. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Overalls are involved. It's a scene. So Brian delivers the pizza to the tower site. And, uh, and Brian was standing there waiting to get paid for the pizza. Marge and me and Ross side were eating pizza when Stockton brought the bomb out from around the back of the building. I don't know, probably within about three feet of Brian. And Brian... At that point, it looked like he was terrified, like he knew there was something wrong and started to run. The rapist walks out with the collar. Right. And Ken and Marge and Bill are eating the pizza. On the, they just <laughs> throw the pizza box on the trunk of the car. And say, are they the trashiest By the way, as they were telling the story, I all, all of a sudden like really wanted pizza too. I kind of get it. I want pizza this minute. I know. <laughs> My whole thing, I have the appetite of a of Daisy. I just want like mac and cheese yeah. and pizza <laughs> just all the time. So the rapist comes out with the bomb. And this is where it like really gets horrible. Ken, according to Ken, Brian looks Brian Wells looks terrified and tries to run. And remember, Meathead Jerry in episode one was like, "There's a scuffle here." Yeah. He like so. And then smart. overalls Bill Rothstein like fires a gun into the air and is like, "You're not going anywhere." Margie and, and Rothstein grabbed a hold of him, tackled him down, and uh, they were holding him. And Marge and, and uh, Stockton put the bomb on him, and uh, he said, "I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this." And uh, I don't know if at that point he thought it was real or if he thought it was fake or what the situation was. And Marge is like, let's put a shirt on him to hide the bomb. You guys, Marge is not a genius because there's no hiding that bomb. When you put a T-shirt on it, it almost draws more attention to it because you're like, why does this person have a big metal box around them? Right. With a shirt that says, guess what this is. She's a, but she's a genius. I know. Gu- I'm telling. Guess what? I'm saying that she was never beautiful and she was never a genius. I'm saying it. I don't care. She wasn't fucking captivating. I don't want to hear it. But then Meathead Jerry tells us like all these other people have jobs like during the heist. Marjorie Deal Armstrong and Ken Barnes sat in a vehicle and observed the bank being robbed through binoculars and they took turns passing the binoculars to each other. Marge and Ken go to watch the heist, which is when she gets on the highway going the wrong way. You guys. It's the it's the easiest thing not to do. You can just get on the highway going the right way. That's the other option. But she's a fucking genius, I'm yeah. sure. Now, also bear in mind, you guys, Marge is still not admitting that she has anything to do with this. She is still screaming at the top of her lungs uh-huh. that she knows nothing about Brian Wells. She knows nothing about this case. <sighs> we have to talk about the rapist. Yeah. I hate it, but we got to do it. Yeah, do it. So, uh, can this be a garbage minute, yeah, I wonder? Yeah, give, give us a garbage minute. You guys, we're back to the rapist garbage minute. We're doing it. I love how we do the like an end music at the beginning, because I can't wait for it to be over. I know, it makes perfect I know. sense. Uh, so he's in prison, but his fucking lawyer got him immunity for, for if he sung like a canary, and so that's what he does. So on March 27, 2007, three and a half years after the heist, we get... The rapist confession. I'm not even saying his name. He basically says everything that Ken said. And he says he bailed after putting the bomb on Brian. And he ran in a zigzag because he thought they were going <laughs> to start shooting at him. That's right. And he says to Jerry, he's like, you know, I'm a convicted child abuser. I can get shot and no one would care. Girl, you're absolutely <laughs> fucking right. Absolute piece of shit. Um, and that's it. Is that it? Oh, my God. Are we done with the rapist? da 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 <laughs> Can I just say something that we learn later, like yeah. as a, as a follow up, so yeah. just so we never have to talk about him again? Totally. Um, he gets out of prison because he he talked, and the dude's fucking married. 
I know. I know. So, girl, run for your life. <laughs> and also, if you are just like, that was a long time ago, and I'm right. going to set that aside. I don't know why I think that's what she sounds like. <laughs> but then she's garbage, too. Anyway, we're moving on. Bum, 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 bum. Our garbage minute music is amazing. <laughs> the thing, the reason why this is so frustrating is be, for a zillion reasons, but one of them is that like no one can really say for sure who did what and when and how and why. Everybody's lying. Everyone's right. trying to protect each other. Everyone's trying to say just what they have to say yeah. to give enough information that they can get out of prison and also have like deniability. So now we, we learn that it turns out in some way, we don't know how or what, but Brian was kind of like both a perp and a victim. Right. That, that's what the FBI has has discovered, Determined. but they don't exactly know like how mu- if it's like how much in column A and how much in column exactly. B. Like we don't yep, really know. Yep, yep. The big question was Wells a victim or participant? Today, a stunning announcement. Prosecutors say he was both. Our investigation has led to the belief that Brian became involved in a limited role. But, you know, it's like because this was such a sensational news story, you have all these journalists where it's like, Tom, in a twist, <laughs> he was both a perp and a victim. <laughs> like, and he's dead. And was, remember when that guy yeah, was like, and an, he's dead. Another pizza delivery guy <laughs> is dead. <laughs> <laughs> Traffic and weather after the break. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. Tonight, we may finally have the answer to a four-year-old mystery. Officials say they'll file bank robbery and other charges today against this woman, Marjorie Deal Armstrong. Authorities will also charge a fishing buddy of hers, Kenneth Barnes, a convicted drug dealer. So we're back to meet a Jerry, and he really wants Marge to take a plea deal because he's basically saying, look... This can't go to trial. And he calls it the CSI effect, which is like the best shade ever. Totally. He's talking about the show CSI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like, everyone wants like fingerprints and like the sexy evidence of just like, here's this and here are all these, this camera and here's like zoom in on the fibers. Like that shit doesn't exist. Right, right. So he's like, we don't have that girl. Like, <laughs> oh, it's so frustrating. And I'm like, can you like just. And just off camera, Jason's holding his hand and squeezing it, like pump squeezing it. Just, just like, like I'm, I'm here, here for I'm you, here, girl. I got here. you. It's yeah, okay. Yeah. We're going to totally. go for dinner after this and have a nice bottle of wine. <laughs> I'm getting hot. Oh, I'm really imagining that. <laughs> Woo, oh, my God. Such as the heat, oh, baby, Jason. guys. Wow, you're so romantic. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's so thoughtful. Yeah. <laughs> Smart and beautiful, both of them. So Marge is like, I'm not taking a play. I'm just assuming. <laughs> we don't have footage of that, but I'm assuming that's exactly what it was like. Because now she's screaming. Because the next the next shot is her screaming at her lawyer, this right. poor guy. The feds never said I was the mastermind. I don't know if you know that. Well, wait the, a media, the media has said it. Now, I went in and I said to Jerry Clark and Jason Wick, I said, look, tell these media once and for all, stopped and took under oath and said, he alone put the bomb on Brian Wells. And Why he's as free as a bird. Now there are two empty Jack Daniel bottles. <laughs> He, the fo- his phone is dead because he's been playing games on it. The battery's shot and he's just hitting his head. And, but at this point, he kind of perked up and he's literally like, whoa, 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 whoa wait. And she's like, I did another thing. And he's like, oh, all right, I tried. That every t- like 26 minutes or so, he tries to get a word in edgewise and she's a nightmare. And she's just, she wants to go to trial. Right. So now we have to see, is she mentally competent to stand trial? The the best part of of this whole thing, and the only reason this is even worth talking about, because she's obviously fucking batshit crazy, is that we meet her first lawyer. (gasps) Lenny Ambrose. Yeah, and he literally says... As I think back about defending her, uh, she was my punishment on earth. I mean, (laughs) quote, for the ages. And then he goes, she'd be talking about one thing, and then she'd be talking about birds or God knows what. And I'm like, birds? Of course. But the thing is, like, it's kind of funny, but then it takes a turn for the serious, because he's like, we shouldn't be talking about collar bombs. We shouldn't be talking about the FBI. She should have been confined. She was sick. She was disturbed. And anybody that was around her knew that. You have to deal with the disease. And if you have a disease that's never going to get better and your thinking is way off, why jeopardize society by putting the person on trial? Run the risk. They'll be acquitted. 
Like, he's making the really good, solid point that this woman has slipped through the cracks and a man is dead because of it. And he tried to get her committed four times. Yeah. And the system kept saying, no, she's fine. Yeah. That's awful. Garbage. You guys. Um, so then a judge declares her competent to stand trial. Yeah. They set, they set the trial date and they're calling it the eerie trial of the century. Okay. Guys, it's 2003. Yeah. We get this, like, we get all these stories about how crazy she was in court that, like, she knew just how crazy to be in front of the judge. Right. And then when, like, the judge would be gone the jury would be gone she'd like literally turn around to the audience and take questions right and just like chit chat yeah um, but like all of the people take the stand like witnesses and former inmates the girl who took the notes yeah like everyone is taking the stand guess who else takes the stand oh uh, Jessica Hoopsick the favorite prostitute yep I was on the edge of my seat because I'd read in some federal documents that Jessica might have some inside knowledge about the heist but she was nervous and vague when she answered questions Jessica did testify that one night, while she was on Ken Barnes's front porch, she overheard a conversation about a bank robbery, and a woman was there. But she didn't know who it was. I noticed Jessica never once looked at Marjorie Deal Armstrong in court. Trey, the filmmaker, like tries to like chases after her after court to try to get her to do an interview for the documentary. She says she will. We made plans to meet, six o'clock down by the Erie Lakefront Tower. I waited anxiously. An hour went by. Jessica never showed up. She doesn't show up. Right. Girl, I need to know if you saw this. He gets oh, a t- I know exactly <laughs> You know what I'm going to say? I haven't, I haven't written a yet. He gets a text from her saying she's not going to make it. Girl, what does the text say? Oh, I wrote, yeah. Of course I transcribed it. It says, I will not, this is all one sentence, no uh, punctuation. Yeah. I will not be meeting you today. I cannot do an interview for you for this documentary. Sorry, Jessica. New line. <laughs> no, then the number one yes. white girl. <laughs> is that her phone signature for her clients? Number, number one, one white, white girl? girl? <laughs> That's like her business That's card. Her text signature, yes. No one white girl. Yes. You guys, you cannot make this shit up. You can't do it. I know. So then Marge takes the stand and all these reporters are like, and now people were feeling sympathy for her. And for whatever reason, like the jurors saw her as a human. Your reporter is amazing. It's basically like my impression of Leslie Nope doing an impression right, of a reporter. Totally. Um, so, all, yeah, all these reporters are just like, people like sympathize with her. And it, I'm just like, who? I know. These jurors are all idiots. So 10 days in court, jury reaches a verdict in a day and a half. And I was on pins and needles. I was I like, know. they're going to fucking let her walk. Yep. The jury found Ms. Steele Armstrong guilty on all counts for her actions surrounding the events of August 28, 2003. Specifically, the jury found Ms. Deal Armstrong guilty of conspiracy to commit armed bank robbery, armed bank robbery in which death resulted, and use of a destructive device in furtherance of a crime of violence. And so uh, she gets life plus 30. And so she, she's ranting and raving that she thinks it's super unfair that she's, quote, the only person paying the price because Bill Rothstein died right. before anything could really happen to him. The rapist is out and fucking married. Ken enjoys prison because he's like, I got a bed. I got food. I got old guys to talk to. Like, <laughs> Ken's doing fine, which makes me furious. He's like happy in prison. And my whole thing is like, Marge, you got away with two other murders. Can we just call it even? Like, can we just... Nobody is found guilty of the murder of Brian Wells because we don't know if he was involved or not. This becomes like the last part of this documentary. Right. Is the filmmaker trying to figure out if Brian Wells was an innocent bystander or if he was involved. Right. So then there's this whole thing where like the filmmaker maintains a relationship with her for years and years and years after the trial is over. And basically he is saying that he does this because he has one crucial question for her, which he finally gets up the balls to ask her when all of her appeals are exhausted and she's not getting out of jail. Right, because he thinks maybe she, she'll, she'll actually tell the truth now because there are no other no options. Reason. Exactly. At this point, with the all, you know, all your knowledge on the case, do you think that Brian Wells was involved at this point? Well, yes, I do. Now, I don't like to say that, though, because I don't like to hurt his family. Gotcha. But don't, don't you think he was involved, too, for God's sakes? I don't. You don't? No. Girl, Marge loses her goddamn shit. I'm sick of 
Brian Wells. I didn't know the son of a bitch. I didn't kill the son of a bitch. And I'm just seems to suck the reason everybody is doing this to me. That's it. I'm tired of your bullshit. I don't even want to talk to you now. It was our first fight. I was wondering if this was it between us. Marge's reaction stunned me. Why was she so insistent that Brian Wells was in on the heist if she was claiming she had nothing to do with it? And uh, Trey steals my line. Oh my God, was this our first fight? Yeah. <laughs> he steals my bit. The thing is, he's not saying it ironically. He sounds like he's upset. Like his best friend Marjorie just yelled at him. This is another instance of people getting a little too, too close, goddamn close to their subjects. Yeah. <laughs> That's a call back to Serial. Patreon.com slash True Crime is the best. <laughs> Only Marjorie Deal is guilty. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's really the only difference here. And th- here's the thing. There's no statute of limitations on murder. Nobody involved in the Brian Wells case, let's right. say, has it has been charged for murder because we don't know Brian Wells' involvement in it. Right. So anyone can be charged with murder if it turns out that he was not involved. Exactly. So Marge has to keep up appearances that he was 1,000% involved because then she won't get the death penalty or whatever. Right. She won't be charged for murder. So months go by, Ms. Jessica Hoopsick, for the stars aligned, whatever the fuck. <laughs> Number one white girl. No one white girl. Can you stay? I can't. <laughs> At least put a period after the no so it looks like number one. Or put like like the number sign. I number know. one white girl. Like, I know. Whatever. Um, she's now in the same prison as Marge. This is kismet, you guys. So we, so the filmmaker gets Jessica on. The, she, he writes her a letter. She writes back. He gets like a phone interview with her. Right. Jessica didn't have anything to say about the bank heist. But she talked about Brian a lot. Apparently, even though he paid her for sex, their relationship had turned into a friendship. She, he would like take her sh- grocery shopping. She's like, he was friends with my mother. And then I was just like, hang on, hang on. <laughs> Can we well, hang on a second. <laughs> Turning this car around, Larry Kramer style. Hold yeah. on. Like, does the mother know what you do for? What does your mother think you do for a job? I think her mom's totally fine with it. Yeah. Oh, I think this no. is this is where we Mrs. are. Hoopsick, please call me. Yeah, Ms. Hoopsick. Yeah. Um, so Marge finds out Trey is talking to Jessica and she calls, I need to know the truth about this lying crack whore. It's like, whatever. They're, it's like <laughs> ridiculous. So Jessica is now just like, girl, I, d- I want to talk. I have something to say. She could meet near a bus stop late at night. She'd been put in a work release program. And this time, Jessica Hoopsick showed up. It's a little it's sketchy. like two in the morning. Right, totally. Like, and don't tell anybody. But yeah, sure, I'll be on camera. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So they go and do this interview, and Trey, the filmmaker, gets to ask her all the questions, and you guys, she has a story to tell. Right. So her confession is the following. One day I walked in Ken's house, and him and a couple of his friends were playing on robbing a bank. He wanted me to find a gopher to rob the bank for him. He wanted somebody who they could scare into doing this, that would not run, that would not call the cops. They said that it wasn't going to be real. It was just going to be a scare tactic to scare him into going to rob the bank. They offered me $5,000. I was high for about three days, and I called Kenny and told him, can you give me some money now if I tell you this guy's name? And he said, well, I can give you some some crack now. And I said, okay. So I went down there, and I said, well, I know this guy, Brian. I said, and he's, you know, he's a pushover. You could probably use him. So now she has all this guilt because if it wasn't for her, he would not have been involved at all. Whether he knew about it, whether he became complicit or whatever, she put him into the equation. And then and then the filmmaker says to her, like, well, what about that, that meeting on the day before the heist? Like, was he there? Did, and she's like, no. Um, I was with Brian the day before for a couple hours. I don't believe that he was there that day. I mean, I know he was supposed to go to work at like 4 o'clock that night. And he was with me from like 12 until like 2.30, which would have given him time to go home and get ready for work. So I don't believe he was with them that day. He was not an integral part of the planning. He no. may have had some peripheral idea of what he was signing up for, but like he didn't really know. He was just doing this thing that this girl he liked told him to do. Right. And she was paid $5,000 to do it. Right. And then Ken gets on the phone and he's like, no, 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 Jessica's lying. But the more he talked, the more his story fell apart. Because right. then he just says, well, yeah, I mean, we well, we tricked Brian into coming by ordering the pizza. And, and everyone's like, he, like record the- scratch, like, oh, like, totally. wait, wait, you tricked him by ordering the pizza. So now he's not involved, right? It just doesn't make any sense. I come away from 
this thinking that Brian Wells did not know what he was doing. I'm, I'm with I you. I don't think he was involved at all. No. And so, you know, like, it, that's, it just kind of ends. Like, it ends still not really knowing, like, if, if, if Brian Wells was involved or not. Um, we find out that Marjorie dies of cancer. And we find out that Jessica Hoopsick has a baby that looks a lot like Brian Wells. And Jessica's like, it, Brian Wells is the father. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's what Jessica's saying. Yeah. And, you know, look, back to what Marge was saying where she's like, isn't it interesting that everyone a part of this case, like, gets cancer and dies? Marge gets cancer and exactly. dies. Exactly. Oh, girl, we got through it. Girl. Um, Can I say for the hundredth time that she was not a genius? Yeah. <laughs> Evil, absolutely. Genius, not so Genius, much. No way. You guys, just a reminder, if you're looking for more TCO, check out our Patreon. We are having so much fun. Our episode-by-episode coverage of Serial, ending with our interview with Rabia Chaudhry. We have an interview with Asia McLean, Adnan's uh, alibi witness, coming up next week. <gasps> um, we are about to, right after this, we're recording our first episode of The Staircase. <laughs> and after the palate cleanser, you can hear our two-minute excerpt of our first episode. Uh, you guys, Get into it. Get into it. We're Patreon. having the best time. Yeah, patreon.com slash true crime obsessed or find the link on our website. Girl, where can they find us? At true crime obsessed on the Twitter and at true crime obsessed.com. Where can they find you? At Jillian with a G on all the things. I'm at Patrick Hines underscore on the Instagram, at Patrick Hines uh, on the Twitter. Girl, what are we doing next? Oh my God, we're doing the dog. Uh, you guys, this was a recommendation from listener Max. Hey, Max. <gasps> I fell in love with this trailer. I'm so excited. Me too. It's the true story of Dog Day Afternoon. Which I've never seen. Ah! I know. Can you believe it? Oh my God. Attica! All right, whatever, whatever. <laughs> so you guys stay tuned for the trailer for the dog. Uh, and then uh, our hilarious outtakes. TM, 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 TM. And then our palate cleanser today is going to be from SpongeBob SquarePants, the Broadway musical, because I love it and it just announced that it's closing. What the hell is that about? I don't Can know. we do a podcast about it? Yeah, let's do it. What the fuck, man? True crime, if I've ever heard of one. <laughs> robbed. Robbed of a Broadway, a long Broadway run. Exactly. Um, we love you guys. We'll see you next week. We love you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. A man doesn't regret what he does. I consider myself a romantic. When I met Ernie for the first time, it was love at first sight. And because I loved him on August 22nd, 1972... I had to do something. Nobody would ever did what I did. Nobody would ever rob a bank to give a guy a sex change operation. That's why they made a movie about it. But there's only one star and that's me. We parked the car, Bobby dropped the shotgun. All these people are standing there, but you know, who's gonna say anything? Oh, you dropped your shotgun? He was good. I tell you what I did to him one time. I spied on him. I was down that village. Because I knew more than what he thought. Please. (laughs) I went to Chase Manhattan when I first was out, and I wanted to be a security guard. I said, I'm the guy from Dog Day Afternoon. Nobody's going to rob the dog's bank. If I had a dream, and in that dream I saw everything that happened, would I still go out and do it? You're damn right I would still go out and do it. Girl, same. <laughs> I just like belched into the microphone. I know, this is, yeah, Evil Genius is making everything me feel about a lot of things. Disgusting. I hate it so much. I really want like the people who go to hell. I want it to be like a like a really bad late nineties um, uh, uh, special effects. Oh, I, I was gonna say like a really bad like Michael Alec party <laughs> from the nineties. <laughs> that's my hell. Just uns uns music. Oh, same. Oh, yeah. Anyway, welcome to the outtakes, everybody. Right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I just want to be the audience. I just want you to talk us through these two episodes. I'm just going to sit here I should and laugh. have brought some like lozenges if I have to do, if I have to go through two more episodes of this Marjorie deal thing. Thank you everyone in the Facebook group who seems to be very concerned about my voice. I appreciate it. 
they're this like amazing duo. Yeah, totally. they're awesome. They work together really well. You see well. them in a car at one point. That I can't even get. We you have to. You know, gut. they would have pulled out of that parking space in the seven five in a much slicker manner. Oh, <laughs> the seven five. No offense, even... Ken. I know you listen. All right, Ken didn't drive that car though. Oh, that's true. That's right. Our other boyfriend did. But um, yeah, the seven five wouldn't exist if Jason and Jerry were down totally. there. Girl, please. <laughs> The scene is like, you see the lights, right. and it's behind the cameras, and Geraldo's like, do you need a phone, or <laughs> can we get the phone number are you going to call and right. actually do your fucking job, or what? And I'm like, oh, man, anyone but Geraldo. <laughs> I have in my notes, Geraldo's a dick who's surprised. Yeah, right? Are you kidding me? Jerry Clark of, of the FBI. Meathead Jerry. Meathead Jerry. You just have to go with me. I know, I have to. I'm going with it. I'm sorry. I'm not going to fight it. <laughs> I wasn't if I, I killed my boyfriend Jim Roden and I'll admit that, but I had nothing to do with it. Okay. Sure, I spend my days floating around, head in the bubbles and my feet on the ground. But there is more to me than just my name. Give me a chance and I could change the game. And maybe one day, Mr. Krabs, you'll say, the crusty crab's yours, it's your lucky day. That is what I've always wanted. Then I can finally say I've done it Let me have adventure Be a contender and more I wish he'd see I'm not just the sponge next door There's gotta be a better way A way to save this town I love But how can I stop the end of the world Am I just a simple sponge? So what if I'm a sponge? It's what I want to be. There isn't anyone who stretches like me. Employee of the month two years in a row. Undisputed master of my own dojo. And everyone here knows that they can depend on this expert jellyfisher who's a trusted friend. I can eat a lot of ice cream. Play my nose like Let me have adventure Be a contender and more Can't he see I'm not just the sponge next door I wish that I could turn back time I never thought my world could end I only want to hang out with my friends But fear I fear is dragging us down And now there's panic that's run amok in my simple town No, no, no. no. Just give me adventure, I'm a contender and more I will show I'm not just the Next door I'm gonna find a better way A way to save the life I love And I am gonna stop the end of the No! You're just a simple sponge You're wrong, Mr. Krabs I'll find a way to stop that volcano from erupting You are still a simple sponge I'll use science, like Sandy said I'm gonna need her on the team Cause you're just a simple sponge And Patrick too He's super strong We'll be the best team ever Sandy's brains Plus Patrick's brawn Plus my Just a very simple sponge I'm not sure what my thing is But that won't stop me When the going gets tough This sponge gets going No, I'm not a simple it because I already have my notes are caps, underlined, bolded. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Take it, start us off. All right. Immediately, I have it. This is what I have in my notes. Immediately, this music needs to take it down about 11 notches. 
Is that a what French thing? Like, dun, 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 dun. You guys, it's going to be a lot more fun to work with this music. It is the most overdramatic. I was like, what is this, a Steven Spielberg movie about World War II? It's like, I, just let me, let me get the emotion on my own. Don't have the music tell me what I'm supposed to feel. Right. I'm already like... <laughs> Whoa! Can the we can we calm down for four seconds? Yes. Maybe. Yeah. But then, so like the the, the movie opens. Right. The first episode opens with, like with just an aerial shot of the house and the news the, footage. Durham police this morning are investigating the death of a prominent city resident. The officers were called early this morning to the home of Nortel executive Kathleen Peterson, who was found dead in her Forest Hills mansion after apparently falling down the stairs. Kathleen Peterson's husband is novelist Michael Peterson, well-known for his books on the Vietnam War. He is also a former columnist for the Durham Herald Sun and ran an unsuccessful mayoral campaign in 1999. Durham police have refused additional comment on the death. Guys, this house. I cannot believe how big this house is. I mean, even Michael Peterson. First of all, the first episode is called Crime or Accident. Girl, I don't know. (laughs) Well, I kind of do. I'm going with crime. But, um... It's like it's like the Foxcatcher estate all over again. I know. And even Michael Peterson himself <laughs> is like, this is my favorite part of the property. He calls it the property. That means you have so much land. <laughs> if you're like the property. I know, I know. And I you know. have to like go down like a, a like a weaving trail to I get know. to the pool. I can't. Okay, I'm jumping. Well, ahead. it's like, listen, the pool's really far away from the house. If somebody's screaming, you might not be able to hear them from there. We, I can't even talk about the screaming audio. We have to. We have to. So December 9th, 2001, yeah. the murder of Kathleen Peterson. Or the accidental death of Kathleen Peterson. <laughs> wow. You're one minute in and you've decided. You know, it's great. I didn't even think of it that way, but I don't know. But that's actually, you called, an- you called me out super hard and you were right to do that because that's what I have, the murder of Kathleen Peterson. That's what I have in my notes. I'm saying it. Wow. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe next week I'll be like, the horror. Accident that happened because <laughs> according to you, I'm gonna go back and forth. There's an owl that got off scot free, is all I'm saying. Look, I think Peterson and the owl work together. <laughs> I think. 